Hi, I'm David Freudberg, the host of Humankind. I actually grew up in public radio. I've been in the field since I was 16. And from the start, I was taught to offer people content that will inform and enlighten. This podcast is dedicated to spreading ideas that speak to the highest part of our listeners rather than the lowest common denominator. If you like what you hear, we're asking for your help please leave us a kind review on iTunes so others can find us. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks. Humankind is produced in association with WGBH Boston and supported by the Humankind Program Fund and a special grant from the Henry Luce Foundation. I'm a Minnesota girl. Professionally, I'm a registered nurse, and uh, I've been working in that field for a long time, in mental health, actually, which was such an interesting experience to be having when my son died, because I realized that even among esteemed colleagues, people don't understand this loss. How parents wrestle with grief, confusion, and a search for meaning after the death of a child. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. There is no bereavement like the grief of parents who attend the funeral of their child. Nature designs the succession of generations so that children must bury their parents, not the other way around, or so we are led to assume. But the mystery of who dies when is not subject to our mortal assumptions, much less our personal control. It's an agonizing lesson that in 1989 was visited upon the family of Bob Lewis, an engineer, father of four, and regular churchgoer living in South Minneapolis. Our son Daniel was uh, 19 years old, almost 20, and he was in an automobile accident. Uh, He did not die right away. Uh, He uh, had massive head injuries, and so he went to the hospital. I was out of town. Chris was here. Um, So finally, um, he was unidentified initially, and someone got a hold of Chris, and she came in and had to identify him. He was an extremely loving person, um, very courageous, um, had rescued a dog from a lab who was suffering greatly, um, had many, many people who considered him to be their best friend from many different types of lives. Um, And when I saw that ending, it, it was unbelievable. Daniel's mother, Chris Lewis. He was on life support, so his heart continued to beat, and the last time we ever saw him, he was as pink and warm as you or I, um, but he was gone. And if I can read a little bit about that morning, um, we had he had been declared brain dead about 8 p.m. on one night, and then we stayed with him through the night. Um, and this is about that next day. The vigil is over. The night was so long. Everyone is so exhausted. 
the nurse has come and told us, softly but with certainty, that our time with his warm but brain-dead body is done. We surrender our perfect family memories to the past. Daniel Lewis became an organ donor at death, a fact which gave his parents a way to see at least some light in the dark tunnel of their grief. But they were shaken to the core and utterly devastated by the accident which claimed his life. It's a terrible loss. I mean, on a scale from 1 to 10, it's about a 200. You know, it's the worst thing that can happen, I think, to, uh, to a family, to parents, uh, there's somebody, a writer that talks about uh, the loss of the assumptive world. And uh, we assume in our uh, United States now or today that pretty much everything will be okay, um, that medical magic will work its, work its thing and our son will not die. And that didn't work for us. And it's... Uh, it's a big change to all those things you believe and affects your whole life. And, of course, a car accident is such an abrupt event. No warning, no preparation. That's an interesting thing. Sometimes we talk about the difference between people who uh, knew that their child was going to die. They were very sick. Um, you know, they were in the hospital or in intensive care. And then the people where it was an accidental death. And I don't think it matters. And the reason for that is I don't think you believe your child is going to die until it happens. So even if you had all this time to, uh, to prepare for it, you cannot believe that's going to happen. Three weeks after the accident that killed Daniel Lewis, his grieving parents received a letter in the mail from the local chapter of an organization known as Compassionate Friends. It was founded in England in 1969 as a support group for families who've lost a child. Compassionate Friends has operated in the United States for more than 40 years now. Based in Oak Brook, Illinois, it facilitates over 600 chapters. Volunteers scan newspaper obituary notices for families that may need the organization's free help. The letter invited the Lewis family to attend a meeting of Compassionate Friends, a group they remain involved in. It's a place where others know from experience the special grief of parents. There's always sorrow that truly there are no words in the English language to express. It's so beyond the, anything else we've ever experienced and hope to God ever will. But also, I would say most bereaved parents have um, a lot of guilt, unearned, unwarranted guilt. You make a commitment, you make a contract with that child before it's born on the part of a mother, I will keep you safe. And it doesn't matter there was nothing we could have done. We weren't there when our son's accident happened, for example, or a, a, a parent whose child is dying of cancer. There was no way they could have caused that. But the guilt is still a huge burden because we couldn't keep them safe. Um, and there's tremendous isolation and loneliness, I think, on the part of most bereaved parents for a long time. 
um, for us it's not so much anymore, but for a long time it feels like you've come from a different planet and you're among these other people and everything is going on as usual, but there's some sort of glass wall between you and everybody else. It's hard to explain. And exhaustion, constant exhaustion. Emotional exhaustion. And physical. I remember going to the doctor about nine months after our son died. I, could, I, I just could hardly put one foot in front of the other. I was working and so forth um, outside the home, quote unquote. And my doctor said, I was afraid I had cancer. And my doctor said, I know what's wrong. We both know what's wrong, but sure, I'll do some tests to make sure you don't have something that I don't, that I'm not seeing, but I know what's wrong. You're just trying to put yourself back together and find a way to go on, and it takes a lot of energy. I loved him for that. Grieving is very hard work. Bob Lewis. It's a terribly, it's a 24-hour day job. It's the hardest job that I've ever had. And it's not the type of thing that you can turn off uh, or that stops um, because it goes on. I mean, in the very beginning, you're kind of numb. We call it we call it autopilot, where you just kind of do what you have to do. Uh, if you have other children or <clears throat> keeping your job, those things, you've got to do them. You go do them as best you can, but you're just so tired. I mean, it just, it just wears you out. I'd like to add something about what is so draining and fatiguing. I, I don't mean to speak for every single parental griever, but this is how it was for me and I think for a lot of folks. All day long, you're going along and you're living two parallel lives and they're both inside of you. Um, the one is the outside life where you get up and make breakfast and go to your job or go to your tax or go to your child care, whatever. Um, and you're doing those things and you look like you always did and you look like that's your main focus. But along throughout the day is this parallel job or or life you're living that's inside your head and it is constant. Um, you know, it's just the sorrow, the memories, trying to push the memories away, trying to bring the memories back, um, trying to push the sad memories away and bring the happy memories in, thinking about where is he, seeing somebody on the street and, and thinking he that that person looks like my son and and keeping yourself from driving the car in that direction to see closer as if you're searching as if he might still be here all day long trying to focus on the work in front of you instead of on how much you miss your child and that goes on you know until evening and then you go to bed and it's quiet and it's dark and trying to get to sleep is a mammoth task um, it's, it's probably the main complaint of all grievers, not just um, people who have lost a child, that difficulty with sleeping. And, and so the sleep is quite fitful, and you wake in the night. Um, it is... It, it, it's like you're so busy every minute, but um, no one sees the busyness. It's all in your head and in your heart.
How we interpret life events, especially those hardest to process, often requires a delicate balancing act. We must face what's actually happening and allow for the natural emotional fluctuations produced in the human heart. And we must also look for meaning, for what challenging times may reveal to us, little by little, about our mysterious odyssey through life. Does an experience like this, where everything is turned upside down instantly, cause you to view differently how we plan and the way we think about our plans and our expectations? Simple answer, yes. Um, the point of you don't know if it's going to uh, work out the way you planned. You still have to plan. I mean, that's how we survive. We decide how we're going to get to work in the morning. Um, but it's the it's harder because the the feeling that it will work out that way is gone. I see us trying to make memories now, um, for instance, with the grandkids. Um, if we want to do something, do it sooner rather than later. Later may not be around. Take advantage of opportunities now, even if you really don't have the money. As an interesting thing, um, my father was widowed uh, at age 28 or 29 um, with three small children. And unlike what one would normally hear from one's parent when one is starting out, like when we were starting out on our own young adult lives um, as a married couple, you wouldn't normally hear this from a parent who wants you to be um, prudent with your money and prudent with your time. He kept saying, do things now. Don't really worry much if you can afford them. Do them. And it took me a long time to realize he was coming from a place of his own pain. His wife died before they got to do much of anything except have three little kids. So sort of live in the moment. Live in the moment. This is all we might have. And in a somewhat odd twist to that, that's a helpful um, um, way to live because I'm constantly reminded how short life is um, for everyone, relatively speaking. And I can get more perspective now versus what I had at first that um, Dan's life seems so short but he had 19 years, and uh, relatively speaking, everyone's life is pretty brief on this earth. And in some odd way, it's helpful to know that there is this circle of life, and we all just get a relatively brief amount of time. It's a way to try and be more peaceful with what happened, although I'll never really, I'll never really accept it. We're talking with Bob and Chris Lewis of Minneapolis, Minnesota. They're longtime members of the Compassionate Friends, a support group for bereaved parents, which they joined after a car accident suddenly claimed the life of their 19-year-old son. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. For more information on this segment, please visit humanmedia.org.
we don't know how things will work out, you know, could be written in the sky by a sky writer. Chris Lewis. That is a major learning experience about this. I have a bumper sticker on my car that is really put on there in jest, and you maybe have seen it. It says, oh, no, not another learning experience. <laughs> and it's meant to be a joke. But um, one of the big learning experiences about this loss for me was I don't control anything. I hardly control what goes on in my own house in the morning. Um, it was a stunning about face in my own view of myself as I relate to the world. I used to be, um, I'm sure my children would tell you this, I used to be quite the controller. Maybe they still think I am if they only knew how much I've backed off. Um, I used to think that, you know, I was a good student, I was a good child. I, I, um, if, if I am in control and if I try to manage everything around me, everything will be all right. Well, that exploded literally in my face. And now I am quite certain that I don't control much of anything. Um, you and, know. And, and so, Chris, developing that certainty, which you say is a kind of an explosive change in, yes, your, in your outlook. very much. Uh, how does that change the way you live? I still get up and try to get to work on time. Um, I still try to put the garbage out the night before they're going to collect it because they'll probably be there the next morning. However, the closer it gets to what's really meaningful, um, the more I am constantly coming up against my inability to um, predict or manufacture the outcome. Coming to terms with our relative lack of control over the future is part of how bereaved parents work through the anguish of their loss. But when a person is gripped by the level of pain that a grieving parent experiences, there are no easy answers. Bob Lewis. It never goes away. Time is the only thing uh, that I have seen that has helped me through my grief. It's a journey. Um, you cannot magically jump from, you can't have Scotty beam you up because uh, that's not how it works. And so as you've experienced the process, um, you get to be more able to adjust to your new reality. Uh, I have an, a symbol that I use, and we've talked about it in the meetings, of a toy train. You know the toy train that uh, goes in a small circle when you were a kid and it was, you know, you wound it up and it went around or you put a battery in it and it had different stations it would stop at? I see the grieving process as the toy train. And today it's in this station, which is uh, what if? What if we would have stopped something or what if the bus would have uh, picked up one more person because actually Dan's accident was running into a bus. So that's a what if in my mind. And then tomorrow it's at a different, uh, uh, different station, why I'm so angry at God or whatever. And the picture that I have is that the train is going around the track and early on in the grieving process, it's going around very rapidly. Uh, you know, everything is consumed with that train going to these different stations. And as time goes on, 
the train slows down and it never stops. Battery wears down, so the whole thing slows down, uh, but at, something can come up that'll get the train going again. You know, uh, seeing someone or hearing something will get the train spinning around the track again, but then it'll slow down. And as I said, as time goes on, that's really what makes it more bearable to live with what's happened. Bob, you mentioned earlier that on the train track, one of the stops that people frequently make is anger at God. What has been your source of strength going through this kind of challenge? My wife, Chris, the meetings, the Compassionate Friends meetings, trying to help other people uh, through this experience. Um, we, we actually facilitate a meeting, a small meeting, uh, of our group here in Minneapolis. And uh, we've been doing it now for years, but we keep doing it because someone will come who's just new in the process. And so we can offer uh, a listening and maybe a helpful comment. And so um, that's what's helped me. Deep suffering can at first overwhelm the bereaved parent, and yet reaching out to connect with others in pain, to share their human experience, can have a healing effect. Best-selling author Rabbi Harold Kushner has written movingly about the agonizing loss of his own teenage son who was afflicted with a rare disease. If somebody you know has just lost his job and you've been through that, you're uniquely qualified to call up and say, you know, I've been through it and I know how hard it is for you. Can we sit down and talk about it? Can I buy a lunch? Can we go out together? If all you have gained from your own experience is a sense of empathy, knowing what works and what doesn't work for the grieving person. If it gives you the capacity to bear witness and to say, I have gone through that and I have come out intact, and you can believe that you will too, that's taking a meaningless tragedy and redeeming it from meaninglessness. That's your choosing to turn this sad event into something which will yield a brighter side as well. I was very, uh, very strong religious person before, but after this has happened, I just cannot go back to the, to the churches and to the prayers that please God make everything be okay because it wasn't okay. Bob Lewis. But I still, I still believe in God and I will really do want to talk to him when I die and have just an understanding of what, uh, what happened and why. You say you believe in God even though this very painful chapter occurred, how do you square your faith with such a painful life event? Uh, it happens to a lot of people. I mean, we're not unique. Uh, that is one other thing I got from the meetings where all these perfectly normal people would show up at the meeting um, and they would be going through uh, an experience of having lost a child. And that has helped me a lot. You know, this happens, stuff happens to people all the time. And if you make it through without stuff happening, you're just really very lucky because the, in the real world, stuff happens to most people. I hear you, Chris. 
people who have known us all our lives can still hardly believe that um, the two of us aren't churchgoers anymore. We were both very active in our in our church and um, very devoted and um, unshakable. <laughs> and then along comes this earthquake, and we were shakable, all right. Everything, all of that. Um, devotion to church fell apart. And I am not saying that any other bereaved parent is like this. I would not recommend that anybody stop going to church. It seems to me, from the other bereaved parents we know, there's just two camps. The, the camp that can't go to church anymore and the camp that says, if it wasn't for my faith and church, I, I wouldn't have made it. And honestly, I envy those folks. I just want to say I'm so grateful to Doc, um, to Rabbi Kushner for his book, When Bad Things Happen to Good People, because it was the one of the few books I could get through in the first few months after our son died. Um, the rabbi has credibility because he lost a son, and he suggested that maybe these awful things happen because creation isn't finished yet, which would explain the chaos in the world, and that's that's what got me through and kind, still kind, does. Kind of a work in progress. Yes, The lack of a clear-cut explanation for major events in our lives can seem disconcerting. The most natural question a human being can ask, especially when facing tribulation, is why. As poet Rainer Maria Rilke wrote in 1903, live the questions now. Perhaps then, someday far in the future, you will gradually, without even noticing it, live your way into the answer. Do you have a relationship with God? Yes. Um, Yes, I speak to him. I speak more to my deceased son. I pray to Dan. Um, Please, you know, help us. If you can, please help us get through every day. I do um, talk to God, but... uh, I'm, I was raised with the idea that God is all-powerful in my particular religion. Well, I still, I can't, I can't reconcile that in my head because if God is all-powerful, how could this beautiful human being whom I loved so completely and so did everyone else die too young in my estimation? Um, so then is God not all-powerful? And therefore, what else might not be true about what I learned? It, it, it's, I feel like I'm going to be struggling with this question for the rest of my earthly life. It's a deep question. Indeed. <laughs> it's a deep, a deep, I, deep I've question. often said that if you want to meet a philosopher, you know, you don't have to go back and try and read um, Socrates or, you know, Kant or uh, one of the philosophers, just talk to any bereaved parent because they're they're philosophizing all day long, trying to figure out the meaning of everything. Everyone has their road to walk. And um, right now, uh, my relationship with God, I'm, I'm okay with it. I mean, it's, uh, it's just that another one of the losses has been that wonderful feeling that if you did all these things, everything would work out okay. And that God was there working that for you. And I mean, that 
having grown up a little bit and become more of an adult, I realize how uh, immature that is. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm okay with it. I love God. I think He loves me. Uh, it is what it is. Bob Lewis, along with his wife, Chris Lewis, of the Compassionate Friends in Minneapolis. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. Studio recording by Antonio Oliart-Rose. Editorial assistance from Thomas Royal and Kathy Graham. Webmaster Brian K. Johnson. Special thanks to Tony Buck. Our program is produced by Human Media in association with WGBH Boston. Program development provided by Shart Media. To purchase a CD copy of this program, please call 1-800-5-LISTEN. That's 1-800-5-L-I-S-T-E-N. Or visit our website where you can also obtain an audio download of this and our other programs and can hear selected episodes free. You can access free written materials related to this program as well. Our web address is humanmedia.org. Again, if you'd like to purchase a CD copy of Humankind by phone, please call 1-800-5-LISTEN, and our web address is humanmedia.org. This segment, Compassionate Friends, is Humankind Program number 178. The executive producer is David Freudberg. This is Humankind. To hear more episodes of Humankind, you can subscribe to our free podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast player. A new episode each week. The podcast title is Humankind on Public Radio. And if you enjoy this program, be sure to leave us a kind review at iTunes and Stitcher. If you want to support the program, please visit humanmedia.org. And at the top of the homepage, click on How You Can Help. Again, our web address is humanmedia.org. Thanks.